morning I'd like to begin with a thank you. As you look at the history, uh, look back, on September the 1st, 1985, I walked into the pulpit for the first time as the preacher here. So that means that today I'm starting my 29th year. And I know that uh, that's hard to believe because there's a lot of people in this auditorium who are not 29 years of age. And uh, some of you were very small uh, when I moved here. But it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, You have treated me much better than I deserve. And I want to express my appreciation to you for being such a great group of people with which to work. I'd like for you to focus your attention now with me for a few moments to the book of Hosea. A few weeks ago, I began the series on Hosea with an idea and a purpose in mind. Hosea addresses the fact that Israel had sinned against God. In that sin, they broke God's heart. God loved Israel. God wanted Israel to be saved. He had great hopes for Israel. But Israel sinned and broke his heart. That was the first lesson. We began after that looking at the fact that God had a controversy. He had a court case with Israel. And he began to enumerate all the things that Israel began to do. And how God's heart remained broken. And God continued to try to show Israel, here is where you have gone wrong. And we see a lot of parallels between God and Israel and Hosea and Gomer. This morning, we're going to take some verses that are found in the latter chapters of the book of Hosea. And we're going to look at the study of you have got to leave. The passage that Brother Caleb read to us just a few moments ago from Hosea chapter 9 and verse 3. He says, they shall not dwell in my land. There are times when one must simply get out. There's times when one should not be in a certain place, and they're told to get out. A good illustration is found in 2 Chronicles 26. King Uzziah had presumed upon himself to enter into the temple and to offer incense. And it says in chapter 26, verse 18, And they withstood King Uzziah, that's the priest, and said to him, It is not for you. Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense, get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. You see, he didn't belong there, and he needed to get out. There are times when one has to get out because there's some other place he needs to be. Some better place. In Acts 7 and verse 3, as Stephen is recounting the history of the children of Israel, particularly with regards to the life of Abraham, he said to 
him, God speaking to Abraham, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. God is saying to Abraham, I've got a better place for you. Leave where you are at. And then a person sometimes has to get out because of safety. A person has to realize that there are times when uh, situations are dangerous. And in Acts 22, the Apostle Paul is recounting his conversion and his journey to Jerusalem. And Paul writes or speaks saying, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. Paul had preached the truth. They knew that he had once been a persecutor of the church. And he says, now these people are not going to listen to you, Paul. Get out. But none of these are the reasons why God says to Israel, get out. Occasionally a person is told to get out because they're no longer welcome. In the case of Israel, here in the book of Hosea, God is looking at the children of Israel just like a husband would look at his wife who has been unfaithful to him and say, you have broken the bonds of our marriage. You need to get out and leave this house. Do you understand not only the heartbreak that God is experiencing, but the fact that God is angry with Israel? Genesis 21 and verse 10, we see Sarah. She said to Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. Or you can go to Jeremiah 7 verse 15, which I think is the verse to put in the margin here. And I will cast you out of my sight as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. And Ephraim is the term that Hosea uses all through his letter to describe Israel. I've cast you out. Get out of my house. I don't want you here anymore. You and I have got to try to understand this. We have to see Israel in her condition the way God saw her. And God is going to use a number of illustrations that help us grasp that. I started to title the lesson 333. Chapter 7, verses 4 through 16, we will look at three occupations Chapter 8, verses 1 through 9, we will look at three animals. And then as we combine the thoughts of chapters 9 and following, we will talk about three results. Let's look, first of all, at these three occupations. You know, sometimes it helps us to be able to have an illustration. Somebody to give us something to understand. And so what he's going to do is to begin with three occupations, and the first one is a baker. Look with me at chapter 7, verses 4 through 8. They are all adulterers, like an oven heated by a baker. He ceases stirring the fire after kneading the dough until it is leavened. 
In the day our king princes have made him sick, inflamed with wine, he stretched out his hand with scoffers. They prepare their heart like an oven while they lie down and wait. The baker sleeps all night. In the morning it burns like a flaming fire. They are all hot like an oven and it devoured the judges. All their kings have fallen. None of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixed himself among the peoples. Ephraim is a cake unturned. Now I want you to imagine the children of Israel and this illustration. Their primary food, their daily food, was bread. And the bread was cooked on what many times we would call an open-air oven. It would be made out of some sort of stone, and they would build a fire at the bottom, and there would be almost like a griddle, flat top, and they would knead their dough, they would make it into cakes, put it... And it looks much like what we would call pita bread today. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you're going to find pita bread uh, quite frequently. But I want you to look at the description of the baker. He was called in with these scoffers and he was inflamed with wine. That is, he got drunk and over the night he did not attend to the fire And so the oven was left unattended. That's not a very good baker. It says that Ephraim has mixed himself. The Hebrew word there for mix is the word blended. You know, you take a a little bowl of something and you'll mix your ingredients and then you'll begin to uh, stir it up. That's the idea of this word, to mix, to blend. He had blended himself with the people, that is, those nations round about him. He calls specifically Assyria and Egypt in this regard. You see, it's just like today. People today no longer consider the Lord's church as being the primary place where they have their identity. But we're mixed among the people of the land. We go with people who are worldly and ungodly to do things that we ought not do. That's the picture he's trying to give. And then he says that Ephraim is a cake unturned. I want you to imagine your mother going and cooking you pancakes, pouring the batter on the griddle or in the the, uh, skillet, and then just letting it sit there without giving any concern to it. And after a while, the bottom part is burnt and the top part is raw. That's exactly what Israel had become. Israel was burnt on the side of the worldliness. Israel was raw toward God. You have to see Israel and you have to see her heart. Verse 6, you have a bad cook, bad ingredients, and a bad result. And he said, they prepare their heart like an oven. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. One of the first things you see is Israel's heart is bad. But he's going to give a second illustration in verses 9 through 12. Aliens have devoured his strength, but he does not know it. 
Yes, gray hairs are here and there on him, yet he does not know it. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face. But they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all of this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without sense. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. Where they go, I will spread my net for them. I will bring them down like the birds of the air. I will chastise them according to what their congregation has heard. Now, as you look at that passage, the first thing you will notice is they don't recognize their condition. He said it's just like gray hairs are here and there on them, and they're unaware of it. Twenty-nine years ago, when I walked in this pulpit, there might have been one or two gray hairs. But could you imagine going a long time and not recognizing that your hair color has changed? Israel did not recognize how far they had gone from God. Unaware of it. You know, James chapter 1 talks about a man looking into the perfect law of liberty, letting it reflect himself as in a mirror. They're not looking into God's law. And then he uses this illustration, which I've got to be honest with you. Years ago when I read this, Ephraim is also like a silly dove. The word silly denotes something to me that's like a child. My grandfather was a very serious man. He'd always come in and tell us grandkids, y'all cut out that foolishness. Quit being so silly. But do you know the word silly that appears here is a word which indicates a person who's a little bit stupid, a little dense, not really capable of grasping or understanding. And then the word dove refers to a variety of fouled creatures. That could include what we call the turtle dove. Or it could also include pigeons, like homing pigeons. Most of the commentators point out here, that's the idea here. In fact, ten times of the 23 occurrences here, it's translated pigeon in the Bible. Can you imagine a man here who owns a homing pigeon and he's trying to get it to go and come back? And you send that homing pigeon out and you lose it. You know why? He doesn't come back. Ephraim has left God and gone out with the other nations, but he's not come back home. He's without sense. He's like a silly dove. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. And God's picture here is in verse 12. He says, I'm going to spread a net, just like you catch a bird in a net. Third illustration. I've got to move quickly here. It's that of a battlefield. Look with me at verses 15 and 16. Though I disciplined and strengthened their arms, yet they devised evil against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the cursings of their tongue. They shall be a derision in the land of Egypt. 
Now I want you to observe the first thing is bows, bows and swords are weapons on the battlefield. But the thing that he draws attention to is that they are a treacherous bow. What would a bow mean that it say that it's treacherous? The word treacherous here means lazy, to be slack. And if you study the background of the bows made during this period of time, you know, to have a good bow and arrow, you've got to have a bow that has some tension on it to be able to thrust that arrow out. But certain types of wood, if they got wet, were very, very pliable. And here is an archer. He pulls his bow back, shoot it, and his arrow just drops. That's not a very good bow, is it? And that's what God is saying about them. They have become slack. They're worthless as regards to a bow. And then he says they'll be held in derision in Egypt. They're going to mock them. Look at your bow. Look at your arrow. It has no ability whatsoever. Now all three of these illustrations reveal the ineptitude. The fact that you've got a cake unturned, burn on one side, raw on the other, because you've got a drunk baker. You've got a homing pigeon who doesn't know how to find his way home. And you've got a bow that won't shoot. That's Israel. Now much quicker, he's going to turn and use three animals to make his point with regards to Israel. The first one is found in Hosea chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. He's going to talk about the eagle, which is a bird of prey. And I will show you from Deuteronomy chapter 14 that they fall in again to another class of birds. Set the trumpet to your mouth. He shall come like an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel will cry unto me, My God, we know you. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue. He says, He shall come like an eagle. When we think of an eagle, we think of this big, majestic bird flying. But if you go to Deuteronomy 14, All the clean birds you shall eat, or may eat, but these you shall not eat, the eagle, the vulture, the buzzard. They're scavenger birds. Birds of prey. Predator birds. These are birds here that are giving the picture that Israel is dead. And God is going to come and attack. The second illustration is found in chapter 8 and verse 5. The bovine, the calf. Your calf is rejected, O Samaria. My anger is aroused against them. How long until they attain unto innocence? Now I will point out to you, if you look at the verses down at the bottom, 1 Kings chapter 12, 28 and 29, it refers to what Jeroboam did, setting up the calves in Dan and in Bethel. And God says, I'm rejecting your calf. But I want you to notice that last phrase found there in verse 5 of Hosea 8. How long until they attain unto innocence? 
God is saying, when are you going to quit worshiping and serving these idols? Do you think God ever asked the question of us? How long are they going to keep sinning? When are they going to turn their lives around? When God looked at Israel, Israel was continuing to go away from God. And God says, I'm rejecting you. In fact, I'm sending you away. The third one is a braying donkey. Look with me at verse 9. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey by itself. Ephraim has hired lovers. Now, uh, you see this donkey. Why do donkeys bray? I would try to make the noise they make, but I'm not going to do that. I don't want you to laugh. Why do they do that? Two reasons. Either they're hungry or they're mating. Look at verse 5 of Hosea 6, or Job 6. Does the wild donkey bray when it has grass, or does the ox low over its fodder? Obviously the answer is no. If he has grass, he's busy eating. Jeremiah 2.24, A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire in the time of her mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves in her month. They will find her. She's just like a straying animal in pursuit of mating. That describes Israel. They're braying like donkeys because they're looking for another lover. Do you see now why God looks at Israel and says, you've got to go. Not a very flattering picture of Israel. Now let's move to the third part of the lesson. The three results. What happens when you have people who are like we have just described? Well, the first thing you will find is corruption. God gave them a pure, righteous, holy way to follow, and they messed it up. They corrupted it. You know, maybe an illustration from the present can help us sometimes. Sometimes you can have people and you buy them a brand new computer. It's all set up real nice. You give them about two or three days and then they call and they say, it's messed up. I don't know what's wrong with it. I know what's wrong with it. You messed it up. You corrupted it. It was intended to be a right way, but you've messed it up somehow. Listen to Hosea 9, verse 9. They are deeply corrupted. As in the days of Gibeah, he will remember their iniquity. He will punish their sins. Whenever I see that word corrupt, I always think about Genesis 6. In verses 11 and 12, the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. You see, God had a plan for man. What did man do? Man tied it to sin. He that sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. The second thing that you see is confusion. 
you go to chapter 10, and don't you look with me at verses 1 and 2. Israel empties his vine. He brings forth fruit for himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he has increased the altars. According to the bounty of their land, or his land, they have embellished the sacred pillars. Their heart is divided. Now they are held guilty. He will break down their altars. He will ruin their sacred pillars. Drop down to the first part of verse 4. They have spoken words swearing falsely, making a covenant. Notice those key words that are found there in verse 2 and and in verse 4. They have a divided heart. Dual alliances, if you will. They are aligned with the pagan idols. But they're also God's people. And they want the benefits of being in God's house. And they want to continue to be idolatrous people. And God is saying, you can't do that. You've got to make up your mind. Either you are going to worship and serve me, or you're going to worship and serve those idols. That has always been a challenge placed before God's people. Remember Jeremiah 24? Choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served on the other side of the rivers or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me in my house, we'll serve the Lord. Or you remember Elijah on top of Mount Carmel? How he called the prophets of Baal there to a contest? He said, if God be God, serve him. But if Baal, then serve him. These people had a divided heart. Isaiah 45, 16 says, They shall be ashamed and also disgraced, all of them. They shall go in confusion together who are makers of idols. James three sixteen says, Where there's envy and self-seeking existing, there's confusion and every evil thing there. The third thing you see is conflict. Now, I really want you to come full circle with me of our discussion this morning. I began with the picture of God saying to Israel, you've got to leave, you've got to get out, I don't want you here anymore. And the question is, why did God not want them anymore? They couldn't get along. Amos 3, verse 3 says, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Folks, that's an important verse. Unless we and God are on the same page, unless we are in full agreement. You know, John writes in 1 John chapter 1, he says, A man says he walks in darkness. He says he's not practicing the truth. He doesn't have fellowship with God. You go to Hosea 14. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the transgressors stumble in them. The only way you and I can be pleasing to God is if we are on the same side. God had warned Israel from the very beginning regarding bad behavior. 
In fact, I want you to listen. I'm going to carry to Leviticus 18. This is God telling the children of Israel through Moses. When you get to the land and you get settled in and you choose to do what is wrong, this is what's going to happen. Do not defile yourself with any of these things, for by these things the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled, therefore I will visit the punishment of the iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. You therefore shall keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of the abominations, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells with you. For all these abominations the men of the land have done who were before you, and thus the land is defiled." lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it, as it vomited out the nations who were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. God is saying to the children of Israel, when you get to the land, if you choose to sin like they did, I am going to cast you out. I'm going to tell you, leave. Now I want to tie up the study of the book of Hosea. I want to tie it up with chapter 14. I wish I could study with you the whole chapter here, but I, I really want to just bring together the last part of it. O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. For we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. God has told Israel to do this. Get out of my land, chapter 9, verse 3. But God said, here's the way you can fix it. Here's the way you can come back home. Take with you words, gracious words, good words. Go confess your sin. Say, God, I am sorry for what I have done. Please forgive me. Please accept me back. That's the lesson. Has God looked at you and said, if you're going to live the way you live, leave. Get out. I don't want you. If that's where you're at, you need to take a real, real close look at your life and say, I've got to change where I'm at. But you can come back. But if you come back to God, you need to realize you've got to come back with a penitent heart with gracious words that says, God, please take me back. I'm sorry for what I've done. The song of invitation has been selected. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to become one through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism.
If you are a child of God who needs to come back home, we encourage you to respond as well as together we stand and sing.